Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. In today's episode, we talk with Justin St. George, the president of Birds for Pride, the LGBTQ plus club that's been in the news these days. The club was originally started as a class project, but was rejected as a formal club by the university. This was a great conversation, and Fresno is lucky to have a leader like Justin. Sometimes Christian universities need a gay Buddhist from Boston to help them rediscover their soul. I know you'll enjoy this conversation. So let's go meet Justin St. George. Politics, religion, culture, art, music, show some respect to the best little city left in the U.S. Fresno's best. Fresno's best. <clears throat> so, uh, Justin, where do you like to eat in Fresno? I actually recently, about a year ago, switched to veganism. And so my food palate has definitely shifted dramatically recently. And so there are some great small businesses in Fresno that I always love going to. One spot in particular, uh, Plant Slayer. They can be found at River Park on Tuesday nights and on the weekends, on Fridays, and sometimes on Saturdays and Sundays. They can be uh, found downtown at Tower. They usually post there where they're going to be at since they're a food truck. Um, and I haven't had a campfire barbecue burger in a while. That used to be my go-to <laughs> at Red Robin. I always used to slam down a Blue Moon and a campfire barbecue burger. And so Plant Slayer has their own plant-based uh, campfire barbecue burger there. And it is just as tasty and delicious. Mm. And uh, as someone who, again, recently switched to being a vegan. It's great to have small businesses in Fresno. Another small business that I really enjoy, too, is uh, Planet Vegan, and they're also another vegan food truck. And they're found, again, throughout uh, the Fresno area, depending on what day of the week it is. And, again, it just goes to show there are so many hidden gems in Fresno because when I had not been vegan, I had no idea that these things had existed. And so when I had switched and started incorporating uh, plant-based foods into my diet, I had realized that there were places like Plant Slayer, Planet Vegan, also La Jaca is another amazing food truck. Uh, really enjoy their California burritos and they use um, jackfruit uh, as opposed to regular protein. So I, you just gotta go look. There are some amazing spots in Fresno. Yeah, I um, I'm no longer vegan, but I was vegan for a while. I became one in college and followed me through graduate school until I married a carnivore. Um, and the problem was always how not to eat potatoes and pasta all the time and feel satisfied. And there was this when I was living in Pasadena, there was this like really dirty fast food vegan place um, that you could get like chili cheese fries. And it was like the one place that I would go to and I would just like, Ooh, you know, just kind of inhale a bunch of things. But what I've learned and I'm not vegan anymore, but I eat, I don't eat meat all that often um, is that um, if you cook good uh, quality ethnic food, quote unquote, um, a lot of it can be vegan and a lot of it is really good. You know, so sometimes uh, vegans have problems, I think, because they maybe don't have an eclectic diet and American food is designed around meat. And right. if you go to other cultures um, and learn their cuisine styles, um, because maybe they don't have access to meat all that often, you can find things there 
uh, that are good inherently vegan uh, versus, you know, trying to make something vegan. Um, but it, sound, it seems like you found all the good places because those are the places that come to mind, mind as well. Um, so was that a hard transition for you? It was originally. I was actually going through some health-related issues as well. So there, there, it wasn't just because I was interested in the in the social activist part of it. If anything, that took a back seat because it just helped me overcome a lot of the the personal, physical, and mental issues that I was experiencing through the time. I mean, after I switched, I ended up losing about 30, 40 pounds. And I, I not only contribute that to switching, but also to therapy and mindfulness as well. So it was a combination of things. That's awesome. Well, you know, I think uh, for me, I think everyone should at least adopt the, what I call, well, it's, I'm, I didn't create it, but um, a diet that's proposed by this guy named Mark Bittman, and it's called VB6, where you're vegan before six. And I think that's a small way that you can, you know, both improve your health, but also, you know, continue to have the things if you feel like you need them. I mean, we don't need them, but we, people eat them because they want to. Um, so let's transition to talking about uh, why you br I brought you on this podcast, which is that I want to hear about what's going on over at Fresno Pacific um, and talk to you about your thoughts and perspective on things because it's been in the news a lot. Um, so let's start with maybe some background information for those who aren't familiar. Can you give me kind of like a two minute recap if that's uh, doable? of, uh, I know there's a lot been going on, but uh, just a brief overview of what the situation is and where it stands today. Of course, uh, for those that don't know, I'm not originally from the Central Valley. Uh, before I moved here to Fresno, I spent about almost six years active duty Navy. And so I moved up here with my partner to use my GI Bill to go to college. I decided Fresno Pacific University would be the easiest option right off the bat for my honorable discharge. And I also thought they would be pro-veteran and that I wouldn't have any issues, even though my partner had previously warned me that they were a Title IX exempt institution. And so I went about two, three years uh, going through Fresno Pacific University's business management program. And my about my junior year, uh, early last year, I was in a Christian leadership course and me and my group members were tasked with finding an area of need within the community and storming, uh, storming up possible solutions and ultimately coming up with one practical solution to assist this community. Our group members found out that there was no LGBTQ plus pride club on campus, even though there were already a bunch of diverse uh, clubs on campus, including a, a Latinx and an Athletes of Color Alliance club. And so we found that kind of weird. Through our research, we had found out that uh, Fresno Pacific University is a Title IX exempt college, meaning because of that religious exemption, they are able to openly and actively discriminate against LGBTQ plus individuals and allies. We proposed starting a club uh, from that school project. We submitted the club uh, paperwork that is required by the student government and the institution. We did this back in August of last year, so August 2021. And then we found out the Board of Trustees would be reviewing and approving the club, even though usually that doesn't happen for student clubs. October rolled around for the closed door meeting for the Board of Trustees, and they essentially rejected our club. Ignoring that, we decided to start the club anyway, because we felt like it was obviously way too important for the university to tell us no. 
And here we are in January 2022. And we've only been, our club's only officially been formed since October, but I feel like we've accomplished so much. And I left so much stuff out in that very short explanation, but I'm sure we'll dive into it here in yeah. this conversation. Yeah, you gave the overview, though. I think you covered the basic points, which is um, you saw a need that for student support on campus. Uh, you tried to fulfill that need and uh, you were met with resistance that has legal backing. I mean, it seems like it's a, you know, a kind of a story that's been told at a lot of campuses across the country uh, in many different ways. Do you have a sense of the demographics on FPU's campus in terms of like, I, I, I don't know if you've done surveys or something to know, like, uh, you know, what the population looks like on the campus, or, or maybe just kind of like through word of mouth? I don't have the statistics with me, but I don't know if the university itself, but somewhere it's publicly posted. The university has a large, actually the majority of the student population is Latinx. And so this is an extremely diverse community that goes to Fresno Pacific University. A lot of people don't actually know that. Interesting. And in terms of um, the community you're trying to represent, do you have a sense of numbers? I mean, I'm, I know that the university probably doesn't do that kind of self-survey. That yeah, would be and, an interesting thing. <laughs> and we don't track, track that as well. But just from student interest, we can at least say that there is a large need for this on campus and that the student body... Uh, really wants this to happen too. Yeah. Well, so let's, we're going to kind of jump back in time uh, a little bit and think about your time in the military. Um, and are there certain things that you went through in the military or working with a big organization that maybe might be hostile to who you are, um, depending on who you're working with that maybe prepared you for this? Or did you have a different experience in the military? I think both my military experience comes in handy. And then at times it's also a, a hindrance depending on the context. So to give a little background, I was openly gay while I served the entire almost six years active duty in the Navy. I was openly gay. And I know a lot of members of our community do not have the same experience that I have. But in my personal experience, I had an extremely successful military career. I entered as an E1 and I left as an E5. And I did that all within a three-year time span because the command I was with in Washington State, they merit, they ended up meritoriously advancing me um, to E5, to Petty Officer Second Class. And so I had already kind of had a successful military career and I was lucky enough to make a name for myself in the military. And so when I had gotten to the Central Valley, specifically Fresno Pacific University, I said, okay, I might be openly gay. <laughs> you know, this is a Title IX exempt school. I, people have warned, warned me about homophobia my whole life. I've never really experienced it, but it's fine. I'm a veteran. I'll always have a seat at the table. I'll always have that privilege to cover me. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case when I, when I got to Fresno Pacific University. I had complained that um, the Turning Point USA, which is a conservative grifting group that exists on college campus solely to terrorize professors and, and to institute conservative misinformation, talking points, whatever. I had complained that Turning Point USA had existed on our campus because they were displaying signs with assault rifles on them and you know pro-Second Amendment paraphilia. And 
saying racist rhetoric like China sucks or targeting certain populations and countries. And that was an approved uh, club on campus. This is a club receiving SGA funds, being able to access venues uh, on campus. And so I was told that that club could exist on campus because of student First Amendment rights. And so when I tried to start the club at Fresno Pacific University, I naively thought that that had applied to me, but it didn't because the university is Title IX exempt. So I will say my military experience comes in handy when it comes to leading uh, this group of students that really want this safe place on campus. But it also has been an eye-opening experience for me as someone who's lived a very privileged, privileged life. I've gotten to know very quickly what the term intersectionality means because I had no idea what that meant before intersectionality meeting. Um, you know, just just as I said, just because I'm a veteran doesn't mean I'll have the same rights as, as maybe like a, someone who's heterosexual that has also served. Because I'm openly gay, that adds the element of, although I had served this country and I had thought I had earned my First Amendment rights, coming into a, a system of oppression like FPU, where they're legally allowed to discriminate against people like me, regardless of my military service, it's been a humbling experience, but I'm thankful that I, I've grown from it and it's made me a better person because of it. I think it's helpful because, you know, and a lot of maybe people that are in administration uh, at FPU could benefit from understanding this concept more, which is that, you know, even if thinking about in terms of religious background, just because someone is a Christian doesn't mean they have the same experience uh, as another Christian. But it's also important to remember that you know, exactly what you're saying. But it's interesting because it almost feels like some of the people maybe that would want to discriminate also might feel connected to your veteran uh, background. And so it almost seems like that could be some kind of like persuasive tool for you. Have you found it useful in connecting with people that have a different point of view than you on this issue? I will say when people thank me for my service, I make sure they actually, you know, actually mean that because the people thanking for me for my service ultimately are also the ones that are actively working against um, what I'm trying to do on, on campus. And so I'm glad you brought that up. I would like to think my me being a veteran has been an advantage. And in certain cases, I think it has been, but also it just goes to show that nobody's nobody is spared when it comes to discrimination, when it comes to uh, disenfranchised communities. It affects everybody. It doesn't just affect the 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 trans community, the the gay community. The what it affects everyone, and it's unfortunate that the same people that believe in supporting those that serve are also the same ones that stand by these ideals that you can't be openly gay and Christian, or you can't be trans and Christian, or you can't be uh, queer, non-conforming and Christian. Like it's, for some reason, Fresno, Fresno Pacific University acts like the it's so black and white, like they can't coexist. But in fact, there are practicing gay Christians, there are practicing trans Christians. So it's an interesting conversation uh, when, when we're talking about intersectionality and uh, and my military service because I thought I thought it would be an advantage and I thought honestly the club would be approved I thought it was a, a no no brainer and I never thought 
for one second, we were going to completely get away with starting something like this, given the, the university's decades long history with this issue. But I at least thought that people would at least look at it from a student rights issue. And I hope moving forward, that's where the conversation stays is the fact that Yes, this is an LGBTQ plus rights issue, but this is also a student rights issue. Whether you identify with the LGBTQ plus community and our challenges, we were told that clubs can exist due to First Amendment rights. And then when we go to start a club that we don't have those First Amendment rights. And we're just talking about the US Constitution at this point. We're not even talking about anything too, too more complicated than that. So. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. I mean, if we really draw this to draw this to the point of what it is, um, in order to pass, and this is, you know, I'm a history teacher, so we're going to get history for a second. In order to pass, you know, the legislation that led to Title IX, they had to make certain compromises with groups that didn't want it. And one of those compromises was to give certain exemptions to certain institutions that allowed them to effectively discriminate legally. Um, and now there's been different groups that have been, uh, you know, doing class action lawsuits uh, to try and fight um, to, to break this uh, kind of legal discrimination down. Um, and then interestingly, you know, a Democratic president, Joe Biden, has said publicly today, or not today, a couple of days ago, um, that they're going to vigorously defend these exemptions. And so I, it's, it's hard to see... I mean, I understand if that's your perspective that, you know, coming from this kind of religious perspective, like, you know, if the government can, you know, discriminate or, or, or challenge uh, religious tenants uh, that you've chosen to commit to personally, that that would maybe infringe on your First Amendment rights in terms of freedom of religion. But at the same time, these institutions are uh, taking tax dollars in terms of, you know, grants in terms of uh, loans that students are using to pay to go to these universities and are discriminating against the very people uh, that uh, those tax dollars might be coming from. And so it's confusing, you know, in that we allow this to happen in this country. Um, but I think the way forward is unclear to me. So do you, do you foresee a future where there is no Title IX exemptions? Um, and do you think they need to be gotten rid of? I do think there needs to be some sort of Title IX reform in this country because it's given this giant gray area for institutions like FBU to operate unhinged and un, un, uh, unaccounted for because what ends up happening is you're exactly right. These institutions are, are collecting tax dollars, I'm using my GI Bill to go to FBU. They are a yellow ribbon ribbon program school. And the fact that if you go to the FBU website, I believe one of the first quotes is a diversity quote. And then you, you go on their website, they have some great diversity, equity, and inclusion goals, but there's no clear, specific transparency when it comes to their Title IX exemption. They're legally required, they're legally mandated to display and have those Title IX exemptions on their website. And somewhere you can find them. It's incredibly hard to find. Mm. But I think if they're going to be given these Title IX exemptions and they're going to continue allowing these institutions to not adhere to Title IX laws, they need to at least make sure 
these institutions are completely 100% transparent in the sense that they're letting all incoming students know, all incoming faculty know, cut and dry. We openly and actively discriminate against these type of people uh, through these policies and these practices and these procedures, because right now that's not happening at a place like Fresno Pacific University. You know, and recently they, they announced a plan uh, to, to quote, maybe meet you halfway um, by appointing- If you would call it that. <laughs> yeah, uh, a safe space person, which is an interesting, do we know who this person is and, and what their background is? I mean, is it like a member of the clergy or, and, and, and so they're supposed to be like a, almost like a confessional booth or something? You know, this was put out originally back in 2016 when Fresno Pacific University first had their little stint in the news with gay marriage and affirming that marriage is between one man and one woman through the university and the Mennonite Pacific Conference's a statement of faith. So back in 2016, they had pledged to appoint a safe space person. Now, I don't know what happened in between 2016, but Fast forward to 2021 when we were doing all this nonsense with the club and they had released uh, back in October 2021, they had denied our club in that same public statement. They had affirmed that they were going to designate a safe space person. A lot of heads uh, turned and there were a lot of questions because first off, this is just a system of oppression trying to desperately cling on to like the last bit of power and control they have over, over this situation. And second, if they're allowing people to be designated as this, why not just designate the club? That was the whole point of the club. And so just today, the university put out a policy regarding a safe space persons on campus, and they elected two people from the diversity, equity, and inclusion department. I believe the ILC staff, they're considered the Intercultural Learning Center staff. Now, the two individuals that were appointed, I know, and I know they've advocated for us before. However, the, the mere idea of a safe space person is 100% completely inadequate. And the minute I received this email today, I opened up the Word document attached of this, this new school policy of a safe space person and, and designated uh, staff support. And then I pulled up the club recognition form that we had submitted to the university back in August. And I did a little back and forth and I scanned it and I said, wait a minute, this is the same thing. The only thing that's missing is that there's no openly gay veteran putting out this policy. That, that's the only common denominator here. Because if you look at the, the document that the school put out, it says that they're providing support information referral, offering a safe space, an inclusive environment, promoting awareness, providing networking and social opportunities for the LGBTQ plus and allied campus community. That sounds like a student club to me. Yeah, it just sounds like they're just appointing the leader of the club. That's all they're doing. This sounds like, honestly, this sounds straight washing that they've designated heteronormative uh, individuals to try to keep control over this and to take away, again, the voice and the power of the LGBTQ plus community on campus. Yeah, and you, you just don't know what's happening what directives they're receiving for the messaging. And so it just, it feels like, I mean, 
<laughs> what makes these people uniquely qualified to handle LGBTQ plus issues? You know, I, I responded, I, I wrote a, a very rough email to the school and I said, look, are these people, are, have these people been to a, a gender or queer a, a theory studies academic course? Are these people trained in social work? Are, are, do they have any mental health experience? Like, I get it. Everyone wants to be an ally. I get it. But <laughs> this is not the way to be an ally is to support uh, some twisted policy. And again, if you look at the, the, the document that the school emailed to the entire student body, it's what we were trying to accomplish as a club. The only thing that's missing is the representation. And that's the, the LGBTQ plus representation in the first place. And in their email too, they said that this, this designation was in response to the board of trustees, but in actuality, it was in response because they rejected a LGBTQ plus pride club on campus. And it seems like they can control the programming that way, right? Like if you're the club president and you're, and you're deciding what you're gonna do with club time, you know, you might do things that support people, Whereas, you know, if you're a student and, you know, there's like a, there's like a, a house marm or like a, like a, a den mother that's running this club <laughs> and you just can't trust that I, who, who would go, who would go to this person? And how would, how would students trust the school after they had already said, we can't have a space on our own, our voices can't be heard and we can't hand out resources to students. I don't understand why the school thinks that any student would feel comfortable at that point going to even the most even the most open and affirming staff members on campus. I don't understand. I personally don't feel comfortable and I don't expect anybody on campus to feel comfortable going to these individuals no matter how inclusive uh, they've been in their teaching or or in their practices on campus. Yeah, because I mean at the end of the day they you know, they want to keep their jobs, you know, they have bosses that are probably getting pressured from above. And so <laughs> the idea that you can trust any one of these individuals and, 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 and what, what do you expect to get out of it either? You know, like what is, what, what are these people going to give you? Can I, can I ask um, how, how students have responded? Maybe not students in the LGBTQ plus community, but like, you know, hetero students on campus, how have they responded? We've had an enormous amount of support on campus through the student body. There's so many allies on campus. And every time the university does something like this, you know, they rejected the club or they designate like a safe space person. It's just another opportunity for more students to come forward and stand with us and be allies. I was really surprised that there's a lot of students that come from different backgrounds, ethnicities, communities, their own inner struggles, that they may not identify as LGBTQ plus or something like this, but they're willing to provide support either because their faith calls them to do so, or because they're just good humans and they see that, you know, there's people that need help, you know, that this community, the LGBTQ community, is going through similar situations that other disenfranchised uh, communities have gone through before. Specifically on this campus, this isn't the first time diversity has been an issue at Fresno Pacific University. And so a lot of the diversity clubs on campus as well uh, immediately came to support us uh, throughout this entire process. 
you know, and I think the other thing too is, is I think a lot of a lot of these, a lot of the students, even the hetero students on campus are probably a lot more developed on this issue than administration, in part because many of them went to public school and public school nowadays is open, inclusive, and there's a club on every campus. Like I, I teach at a public school in Madeira, which is a small farming community right next to Fresno. And there is a giant rainbow triangle above my projector board. And there's the same one in every single classroom that says safe space, you know? And so it's, I think a lot of these kids are coming from public school and they're arriving here. They're like, we're still fighting about this, you know? And that was, and that was the response we had gotten from students. They were, first off, some people did not know FPU was a Title IX exempt school until we started making noise. Uh, Second, they didn't realize in, to be honest, I didn't even realize that students were missing out on job opportunities, that um, adjunct professors were missing out on full-time job opportunities because they were open and affirming, even though the search committee that was filling the position they were applying for highly recommended them. And so that's why when we were talking about the Title IX exemption laws, I think it's important where there needs to be a reform to increase transparency and accountability. So if they are legally allowed to openly discriminate, it needs to be front and center. And before you even hand them that check, it needs to be communicated uh, to that student. Yeah, it's almost like, yeah, there needs to be some truth in packaging or whatever. Um, because It's false I- advertising. Honestly, it's fraud. I, I don't, I'm not a lawyer. And I get the Title IX exemption thing, but at a certain point, we have to look at all the laws in this country and go, that one law cannot completely shield one massive institution from the litany of of LGBT. Even I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, being a veteran, it's like, I thought there were laws that existed for veterans that, that prevented things like this from happening, where they could just, even though I'm openly gay, maybe that would cover me as a veteran, but... I guess Title IX is just, that's that's the beauty of Title IX is that they can just legally get away with it and it sucks. Do you see, or have you heard rumblings of people wanting to unenroll or people, you know, the effects of this? Because I think given that most people under the age of 25, you know, have this kind of like inclusivity as an assumption, I feel like, Certain, you know, there's certain pockets that might not see inclusivity as a default position, but I think most. Do you do you foresee this infecting enrollment? And if you do, you know people not enrolling now because of this? I wouldn't be surprised if this affects enrollment. And before I answer your question, I just want to point out that at no point would I want it to affect enrollment, and at no point do I want people to walk away from the institution, meaning if you're a current student at FPU and you're feeling discouraged about what's happening, the best thing you can do is stay and continue pushing for change. That is the best thing you can do. The argument that it's a Christian college, so what's the point of going there? You should know what you're signing up for. It should be complete. That argument is completely invalid. Christians are, Christians can be straight, Christians can be gay, Christians come on all shapes, forms, and sizes. And so it's not as black and white as you're either Christian or you're LGBTQ+. And so in terms of enrollment, I really hope it does not affect enrollment, but I wouldn't be surprised. And the, the university has had ample time to not only work with us, but to work with several other entities to fix their diversity issues. And so if enrollment 
is affected or say like their financial standing is affected. Um, I, I can't say that I'm surprised, but uh, the university had plenty of time to clean up their act. And so anything, any collateral damage or anything that comes out of what we're trying to accomplish uh, at the university, including our formal complaint to the accrediting body, um, that's, that's on the school. That's not on us. And I, you know, I don't want to see the demise of the university at all. Um, and I, you know, especially for those people who have degrees that don't want to have someone look up their degree and go that, that university that closed down five years ago, cause they were too uh, discriminatory against certain students, you know, no one wants that. And I think, um, but I do think it's hard for institutions to learn things without loss. You know what I right. mean? Like there has to be some sense that we're going to lose something. Uh, Cause it, I mean, if you think about it, um, what, what the lowest common denominator is who they're trying to get this passed, right? Uh, there's probably a, a few people on the board that have a lot of sway because um, uh, the board has an executive committee. Um, and, right. you know, this, this group uh, probably sees this as something that will blow over, I would imagine. Um, but, if, but if there is real hardship here and the institution is threatened, I think that's the only, I mean, I mean, if, if, if you're assuming you're negotiating with someone that disagrees with you, I feel like there has to be some loss. And that probably means that the university has to suffer a little bit, which I don't think is a terrible thing. It might be like a triage or like, you know, some kind of situation where you have to cut off some, cut off a limb or something in order to continue living. Right. Um, but it feels like, I mean, how, um, right. you think, do you, are you kind of like hopeful that like, if you just kind of keep push, putting the pressure on, that will cause the change and the enrollment issue doesn't have to be the cause? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I I am not the type of person to go scorched earth strategy. So again, everything that we've done is with student safety in mind, as well as pressure, pressuring an institution to implement some much needed change. And so we're going to continue putting pressure on the university. And you're exactly right. From what I've heard from closed door conversations is that the administration and the board of trustees, since I graduate this semester, they expect this problem to go away as soon as I graduate. But I'm hoping we make enough noise and we gather enough support where even though we were rejected by the school, we don't have access to student government funds, we can't meet on campus, that we've at least made a big enough mark in the Central Valley community to, <laughs> to survive you know, a, a leader like me graduating where other student leaders can take control of the club and continue pushing for this much needed change. I think the university thought when they told us no originally in October, that was going to be it. I don't think they realized we were going to form a, a Central Valley Faith Coalition of over like 20 uh, open and affirming churches in the Central Valley. I don't think they thought we were going to meet um, in, in person uh, off campus. We ended up meeting at a Willow Avenue Mennonite Church, which recently just got suspended uh, by the Pacific Mennonite Conference because they began conversations to perhaps potentially be open and affirming. 
And uh, and then, of course, the the wasp complaint and then us obviously disavowing the safe space person's policy that they just recently put out. So we're going to continue putting pressure on the school as well as holding meetings. And I just hope that in a few months time when I graduate and uh, and this thing's still going on, this thing still has legs, <laughs> this thing still has the wheels and someone's someone's outside pushing the bus or something. I, I hope it sticks. And honestly, quite honestly, I'm hoping and I'm praying that the university just wakes up one day, whether it be tomorrow, next week, next month, and they kick themselves and they say, man, I should have listened to that veteran. And we get an email and they've approved the club and we can go about our business. Um, but I, I, it really is disappointing how all of this has transpired because this is not reflective of the FBU community that I know. The FBU community that I know, the student body, the faculty, they're open, they're affirming, they're amazing. And so all of this like bad PR and bad news that FBU gets when things like this happen, I genuinely do feel bad. I'm sure people probably think I get joy from doing this, but I genuinely love this. And I love the community. I love the people involved in the community. I really like my professors. I've had some great mentors who, if it wasn't for um, like my academic advisor, I would, I would not still be at FPU. I, I, at one point I got kicked out because my GPA was so low. And so there are people at FPU that have looked out for me. And so all I want to do is look out for those people now again, and for those people that may not have the same opportunities uh, that I have in life. And that's why this club is so important. And it's really disappointing that the university is being so hard headed about it. <laughs> it's such an easy, it's an easy solution. And you kind of answered a little bit of my next question, but I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of ask it again in a different way or ask it anyway, I should say, um, which is, you know, a lot of people, especially religious people, and I, I include myself in this camp, even though I you know, whether I consider myself religious anymore is kind of an open question. Um, a lot of people, when they meet this kind of discriminatory part of religion, um, will look for a better version of that religion, or they will leave. Um, and the people that stick it out, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm I kind of get confused by a little bit sometimes. Um, a similar thing happened when I was in seminary um, at Fuller, um, and this, you know, to set some context here, we were having a fight over whether the seminary could have a similar club 10 years ago, or almost 12 <laughs> years ago, um, and that battle was short-lived and there was a club, um, and that was, and that's just, just a seminary. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's, I, I just had a hard time like separating the different things, right? And like being able to compartmentalize the extreme discrimination from the religion. And I think a lot of people have that experience and then that causes them to leave the religion. And there's there's reasons to leave religion. You know, you maybe not believe anymore, or, you know, you have a different path in life. Um, but some people feel kind of like forced to leave. You know what I mean? Like they feel like, that these things are so connected that they can't help. And, it, and it's not their fault. You know, it's obviously the discriminator's fault. Um, but what, what, what keeps you? I mean, there's places that are more open-minded. There's places that are super inclusive. There's even religious places that are super inclusive. Like what keeps you at this quasi-conservative Mennonite University in the Central Valley? 
That's a great question. <laughs> Considering I, and I'm not going to front, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a practicing Christian. I would consider myself more Buddhist than anything. Cause I practice a lot of mindfulness and a lot of meditation, but I do understand why a Christian believes in God, what their relationship is like in Jesus. Luckily, the, the courses at Fresno Pacific University are really great in the sense that if you don't have any clue about Christianity, it's a great introduction into what they believe and why they believe it. Now, the Christian leadership course that we took um, at FPU and that actually sparked the project, that really stuck with me because I, before that, I had taken like a, like a, they have like a JCC, like a Bible study um, class that you have to take. And that's like the overview and int introduction of like the Bible and like going through the plot and the different characters and, and symbols and stuff. So it's not necessarily something you can apply to life directly. Whereas this Christian leadership course took elements of Christianity and then made you apply it to the real world, which is how that, that final group project was incorporated into that class. Oh, the irony. <laughs> exactly. And so you can imagine my frustration now when I take that idea that literally was sparked from, from the basic foundations of Christian leadership as a non-Christian and to get rejected. Maybe for other people, they would be discouraged. For me, that it just empowers me. And honestly, again, I'm not a Christian, but like the stories you hear of like, uh, um, Mary getting denied uh, access to the inn. And it's like, that was a story. <laughs> like, did they not learn from that, from the Bible? And I could start pulling pulling other notable stories out from the Bible, just like everyone else can, and pretty much show like that this is literally what's happening on our campus. We were literally just trying to help other people. And, uh, and the other thing that people always bring up, I don't know, I'm not familiar with the passage at all, but uh, the part in the Bible where like Jesus is hanging out with like prostitutes and stuff, um, people always bring that up too. And it's like, if Jesus can work with prostitutes, why can't, you know, an FPU work with um, the LGBT community and providing resources and letting them have a social club? Which and, is a horrible comparison to make, <laughs> of course. Not, right, right. Not, you know, it's like that whole like, uh, that that one drives me crazy. Um, the like, you know, the the sin thing where it's like you got to love, you know, you know, you can love someone that's an alcoholic. Why can't you love someone that's gay or something as if that's a way to like, you know, I mean, I understand the logic of where their brains are going, but if they don't realize how you know, someone that's struggling with an addiction to a substance is the same, is not the same as someone with a different sexual identity. Uh, I don't know, but that's used. That's, and, and so that's, that's, it's interesting that someone that's not part of the faith tradition is more accurately describing the faith tradition back to the leaders of that faith tradition should, should say a lot about where that faith tradition is. Um, and how clouded it is by its patriarchy, by its any number of things, right? Um, and I, you know, I mean, here's, let me ask it this way. If you could go back in time and choose uh, and start over and choose again, would you choose FPU again? Yes, I would. And I would have started earlier. I actually kicked okay. myself every single day. I kick myself every single day. I went to school for about three years at this institution as an openly gay man and did not realize what was happening to my own community. I, that haunts me every single day. And I understand I should not beat myself up. 
I should, I should be more reasonable about my mindset, but that's, that's how passionate and that's how strongly I believe in this issue is that I would have done this <laughs> weeks ago had I, had I had um, hindsight, had I educated myself uh, further. And I attribute that to my own mental health struggles. Um, as I said earlier, you know, I was kicked out of FPU about a year or two ago, and I had found out um, after seeking help from the Fresno VA that I had a service-connected disability. They had diagnosed me with adjustment disorder and anxiety and depression. And so this whole this whole journey with the Pride Club is not only reckoning in at FPU, it's also reckoning with my own personal views, reckoning with my own mental health. For a while, I was Republican. For a while, I thought I was the patriotic one. And I, and I stopped and I realized I had to listen to other people and I had to look around and I had to, I had to listen. I had to stop talking so much and I had to listen. And the minute I started going around Fresno Pacific University, listening to students, listening to faculty, listening to alumni, and hearing about the decades worth of systematic oppression that the university has been inflicting on the LGBTQ community, I knew that I couldn't ignore it any longer. And again, I kick myself every day. And I and I do get upset at myself that I I was I didn't I wasn't I didn't have the hindsight that I had. And and it's pure ignorance, honestly. And it's and I I blame my my own privilege, but it goes back to the conversation we had about intersectionality where I thought because I'm untouchable being an openly gay veteran that, you know, other people in the community don't have as uh, the same issues as well. And that if I have an easy time, everyone else is going to have an easy time in the community. But that doesn't always connect and that doesn't always land pending, you know, where you are, specifically like somewhere at Fresno Pacific University. Um, and this is a personal question, which we don't have to go there if you don't want to. How How is your partner viewed? <laughs> this this fight um and i'm assuming that this person is not religious themselves or, no. or not christian themselves right and my partner again warned me at, at the very beginning about uh, fresno pacific university that they were a conservative leaning uh institution and not to say that all conservatives are bad but a majority of them do not have great views of the lgbtq plus community and as well as their title nine exempt school and so my partner is originally from the Central Valley. And so he understands the landscape. Me being from somewhere like the East Coast, Boston, Massachusetts, this was a complete wake up call for me. I had no idea that the Fresno was this deeply uh, religious and that at, that faith had dictated a lot of the, the social and political um, ideologies here in the area. I just thought, uh, like you said, not too long ago about forming a, a club. I thought, oh, this is a slam dunk. We're going to turn a, a school project and turn it into a real life club. And then the FBU will praise us. Maybe we'll get some scholarships from it. <laughs> and But after I had researched into the issue and then finally started realizing what was going on, it was almost like I, I was brainwashed or poisoned. I had woken up and it was like I couldn't unsee it. And so yeah. until I was here firsthand, like witnessing what was happening, of course, I should have listened to my partner. Um, and I try harder and harder uh, each day to try to listen to him uh, since then. You but... should, you shouldn't though. I mean, like, I think <laughs> this was 
such a great thing because someone, you know, someone to stop the bus, someone's got to lay down in the traffic first, you know what I mean? Right. And so, you know, what you're doing is a very honorable thing, which, and I want to circle back to, to really the main point of this is explain based on your project or just based on your understanding of campus, why this club is needed, you know, cause we've been talking around this issue just in terms of the politics of it, you know, and forgetting, not forgetting, cause we're not forgetting you and I right. are forgetting, but like a lot of what gets lost in all this is the reason why the club is needed. So what, what's your, what's your, what's your pitch for why the club is needed on campus? This club is needed solely on the basis of student safety and well-being. The fact that the institution is Title IX exempt means that they can openly discriminate against individuals so they can reject them for on-campus positions. They can re- Mental health services on campus can reject them legally because of their Title IX exemption. And we have to remember, this is college. These are individuals that are 18, 19, fresh out of high school. This is probably the, their first environment where they're outside of their family. They, they're trying to explore truly who they are, And it's important for everyone in the college setting to be completely and 100% comfortable with who you are in order to accomplish what we're all trying to accomplish, which is get get an education and eventually work towards having a successful career. Not having a space like this on campus uh, is really discouraging because it shows that not all students are welcome at FBO, although they'll accept your money. You're not allowed to gather on campus. You're not allowed to hand out resources for students. And messaging like that, why would anyone want to feel comfortable being openly gay at FPU? Why would anyone want to come out as trans or non-binary? I myself find myself second guessing if I should be saying things out loud sometimes, but then I, I let myself know, no, it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to be comfortable with you, you, who you are, because just because other people are, doesn't mean that I should sacrifice my own standards for who I am as a person. Yeah. And it's important to remember the purpose of universities is to have a safe place where you can pursue truth, where certain things, you know, aren't restricted you know, that certain pathways to truth aren't restricted. We have to be able to have the freedom to explore ideas, even ideas that make a few people that are important in the community feel uncomfortable. And it's very sad, but I really do appreciate what you have done. Um, And I know, you know, because there's lots of good people out there that there'll be someone to kind of take up the mantle or whatever and and carry the the flag onward, uh, the big rainbow flag. Um, so let's, uh, let's kind of end by talking about books and if there's some book recommendations you'd have, um, and then you can talk about kind of what's, what's, what's next, what's going to happen next. If, um, you're kind of waiting for the university to do certain, certain things, or you're planning things in terms of, uh, you know, action, uh, direct action that you plan to take and, you know, how's the club going? I know the club's meeting now, so, but you know, you know, there's probably some club news as well. So I want to yeah. show books. Uh, you know, I'm so glad you asked the, the book question, because if there was one book that I would recommend to anybody would be uh, The Miracle of Mindfulness by Thich Nhat Hanh. That book changed. I'm going to start crying over a book. That mm-hmm. book changed my life. And I don't and I never say that. And I and I don't say that lightly. There was a point where I was in therapy for about a year and a half and really lost and still figuring out why I felt 
the way I did and why Uncle Sam made me the way that I was. And so my partner handed me The Miracle of Mindfulness by Thich Nhat Hanh. And that's when I really realized that there was more to life and that living in the moment was so important. And that's when I started my journey to mindfulness. Not even a few weeks later, I attended a virtual mindfulness retreat um, that was uh that was created and ran by Plum Village, which was um, which is the the institution that Thich Nhat Hanh started, and and that's how actually I ended up switching to veganism too. It just all sort of lined up like that. Yeah. And so, if I were to recommend any book, it would be the book of uh, or the Miracle of Mindfulness by Thich Nhat Hanh, and you just have to read it. Even it's such an easy read too. I mean. I think the second page talks about washing dishes and out of the context of mindfulness, you would think, why would I read a book about washing dishes? But I think it's important for every leader to, to read, um, read, read a Thich Nhat Hanh book. And another good Thich Nhat Hanh book that I'm going to recommend is Living Buddha, Living Christ. And it basically bridges the ideas of Buddhism and Christianity because they are very similar in practice. A lot of people don't realize that. And so as someone who's not Christian, it's really helped me connect with the actual practice and understand why um, Christian leaders practice the way they practice. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've read both of those books and enjoyed them immensely. And I, you know, I, I can imagine, uh, you know, a regular meditation practice probably helped you get through a lot of the BS that you've been dealing with. Um, and especially when people are, antagonistic towards you and the default position would be to react um, and not you know sink to their levels maybe a simplistic way but more like allow their emotions to get inside of you and then disrupt your own inner peace or your own mindfulness or your own practice um, and I think having that kind of understanding and like sense of you know um, like I what you do doesn't affect me in the sense that like, I'm going to work on my own mind and I don't know, I'm getting lost. And that's what no, happens no, no. when you you're, talk about Buddhism, great. you get lost, no. you get lost. <laughs> no, that's great. And, and I'll just say this, that I've learned to cultivate my inner island. I've learned to, when I'm angry, when I'm upset, to try to breathe through it. And although I'm not perfect, and although sometimes I slip up with my practice, it truly has helped me through this journey. And honestly, a lot of people like you have said, uh, this, this journey really has been healthy for me and the resistance that I've faced through trying to establish the safe space on campus. It's helped me mentally. And if anything, it's helped me heal and become a better person. So I don't want people to, to feel bad or to think that the risks, the resistance that we faced has hindered us in any way, if anything, um, it's not only made me a better person, but it's made our club a stronger organization because of it. Okay, so what's going on next and uh, what's going on with the club? We are in the middle of the first month of the year and I feel like we've already accomplished so much. Uh, I believe it was the, the sixth or seventh day of the year. We issued a formal complaint to the institution's accrediting uh, body. And so we've re we've actually received a notification and within 45 days we'll be made aware if the accrediting body of Fresno Pacific University is going to open up a formal in investigation regarding their diversity practices and how they handled 
um, reviewing our LGBTQ plus pride club paperwork. So in terms of uh, pressuring the university, we have that going on. And uh, we have some great events planned, unfortunately, due to uh, the ongoing COVID pandemic, we've had to shift to online. Uh, however, we've partnered with the uh, Fresno Economic Opportunities Commission, the LGBTQ plus center, and we plan on throwing a workshop slash social event towards the end of the month over Zoom. You can find more information about that on our Instagram, uh, Birds for Pride. And again, we're going to continue working with organizations like the Religious Exemption Accountability Project and Faithful America. Uh, in continuing to pressure the university into ultimately approving this club because we, we as students uh, deserve this club. <laughs> so um, where can people find more information about what's going on? And if they don't go to FPU, is there any way that they can contribute or help or whatever, you know, participate? Of course. I, I, you know, we actually just did uh, something that we're excited to announce too. We actually just did uh, faculty LGBTQ plus student rights training at Parlier Unified uh, School District for their faculty over there. That's something new that we actually started doing this year. So we're excited to hopefully eventually bring that to all school districts in the Central Valley, uh, not just Parlier, but Fresno, Clovis. Um, and if people are interested, even if they're not Fresno Pacific University students, they can go ahead and reach out on our Instagram or our link tree, uh, which is Birds for Pride again. And uh, we're more than happy to accept any help and assistance uh, regarding uh, trying to start this FPU uh, club on campus and continuing to support the now off-campus infrastructure that we've created for ourselves. Um, last question, has has there been any other uh, university chapters of any clubs reach out as, in terms of support? Very early on, the Fresno State uh, Club. I oh, I always mess up on their name. It's not a Pride Club. It's not, I don't think they call it a GSA, but there's some entity they have a name for it at Fresno State. They okay. were instrumental when we were uh, early on actually doing research for the project. We had reached out to them, and uh, we actually have been in contact with uh, Fresno State uh, administrators as well, who have been more than helpful in supporting our cause too. So there are people in the community uh, outside of FPU that have uh, been advocating for us as best as they can. Absolutely. Well, thank you for talking to me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for uh, the opportunity. And I'm so excited to continue helping out the community and this isn't the last time you're going to hear from me, so. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for listening, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Justin St. George. As always, you can support this podcast by either leaving us a rating and review or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash Fresno's Best. We'll see you next time.